And uh, we're going to start a, an eight-week journey through the Beatitudes. And so it's something I've never done personally. And, um, and, I, and I think it fits right in line with who we are as a church. Because uh, uh, Dr. Buck, who was the first person to share, he's, he's been at the helm now for over 10, in 10 years. There's a small group of people that came together at the marina about a decade ago. And we wanted to start something. We didn't know what it was going to be. Nobody thought it was going to be a church. Um, but there was one thing that we all had in common, is we were, we were spiritually poor. And what I mean by that is we didn't have a lot of theological background. We didn't have this big, rich heritage of theology. Or, or no one had ever really planted a church. I, I mean, it wasn't even on my radar. Um, but, but we were hungry for, for something new. We knew that God had put a dream in our heart, and, and, and we wanted to reach out to our friends and the community in a unique way. And, um, and God really did something special. And so as we, as we study the Beatitudes together, there's a couple things I want to look at. Before we slice it down into eight, because it's almost like tweetable truths. That's what I, that's what I, it's eight very tweetable truths. Um, each one is, is very, it's powerful, and, and each one doesn't have a bottom. And what I mean by that is you could literally spend, I think, the rest of your life reading commentary and reading about each beatitude. And as soon as you think that you found everything there is to find, you're going to keep digging and there's more. Um, it's, it's powerful. And, and before we look at it, each one individually, we got to look at it as a, as a whole. And, and so before we jump in and read it, this is going to be a, this is a challenging series. It really is. Because cause what, what Jesus is doing here. As his, his, his ministry is snowballing, and it's famous. Everywhere he goes, there's a crowd. And so he would, he would say things purposely to thin the crowd. Because there were people just showing up for the free mullet. Come on, somebody, right? No, no. There, 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 no, there were people showing up for the miracles, the signs, the wonders. They wanted something from him. And, and so when the crowd got big, he would say hard things. And the Beatitudes is on the heels, if it's in Matthew chapter 5, if you're turning there. If you read the last part of Matthew 4, he's healing everyone. The sick, the lame, they're coming to Jesus. He's healing people by the droves. There's this massive crowd that's building up to this moment. And then the crowd is so massive, Jesus has to climb up on this about 150 foot tall embankment or mountain. And he sits down. And this is what he says, Matthew chapter 5. I'm going, to, I'm going to read just the first nine or ten verses here. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and he sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. And here we have the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who, who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, they're going to inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for God's righteousness, God's rule. They will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, falsely say all kinds of evil against you, 
because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who came before you. All right, so let's, let's look at this. So, powerful few verses. I want to kind of do the German, journalism effect on it, right? And when, a, when a journalist goes out to cover a story, it's called the five W's of journalism. Some of you may know it, but if they show up, there's five questions they want to, they want to ask. Who, what, where, when, and why? And so to really understand these beatitudes, we've got to ask these questions. So the first one is, is I want to start with who. And so, so we, we have to look at the context and who's there. Jesus is speaking, and so he's teaching. This is all red letters. If you've got a red letter Bible, every bit of this is, is red letters. Uh, it, it, this is known as one of the, the greatest sermon ever preached. So Jesus is speaking, and, and I want you to notice in the very beginning, he's directing this at his disciples but the crowds are, are around. And so a lot of times, just, just getting ready for this message and this series, I read a lot of commentaries. And there's some commentaries or some of the ancient thinkers in Christianity believe that the Beatitudes were just for the disciples and devout Christians, right? Like, like the really, really saved ones, you know what I mean? Because he's directing it at the disciples. But if, if you notice, he's speaking to the disciples, but there's a massive crowd around he wouldn't have gone up on a mountain if he didn't want everyone to hear what he was saying. And, and so these, these beatitudes are beautiful attitudes, if I've heard it called, blessed attitudes are for everyone. Christian, non-Christian, if you can imagine the crowd that he's speaking to, there's every walk of life. There's the Pharisees, there's the religious leaders, there's his tribe, his disciples, but then there's a crowd around there's people that, just, you know, that were just healed. There's people that are just trying to see what's going on. And so there's the committed. There's Jesus' inner circle. But then there's the crowd. And I love this because I feel like this happens every Sunday. If we're doing our job as a church, we're not just speaking to, I'm not just speaking to Christians every week. I don't want to just speak to Christians every week, right? Christians can be mean. Come on, somebody, right? You know, and, and they, so there, there should be. I'm not saying all of them are. Uh, <laughs> But, but, uh, but, but they tend to be sometimes, the more religious they get, the more pious they get, and they think they're better than everybody, and God bless them. But then, but then there's the crowd. They, have, they, are, they, are, they are spiritually broke, bankrupt. They don't know anything about God. They weren't raised in going to church. So they're, they're in this crowd as well. The what is, is, we now know it as the Beatitudes, and this is a little mountain in, in Israel. It's known as the Mount of Beatitudes now. And so, so I like calling them the beautiful attitudes because that's what Jesus is, is, is he's flipping the whole culture upside down. What you're going to notice about these, and I did immediately when I read them, is I didn't really like them. <laughs> Like I was reading, I'm like, I don't want to mourn. I don't want to have to get in a situation where I got to, you know, show mercy. Like, like the, I don't, poor? Who wants to be poor? Nobody in the culture wants to be poor. No, nobody looks like, like th these are all things that your flesh is not going to be drawn to. These are all attitudes that you were not born with. Now, there are some people who are just meek and timid, and there are some people who may be born into, you know, certain things, and they have different personalities. But these are all things, all of these, these beatitudes are absolute miracles of God's grace that, that we have to rely on him to walk into. And, and so it's these, these beautiful attitudes. It's, 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 
it's sandwiched in between two promises. I want you to see this. So there's, I think there's eight Beatitudes. There's an assurance at the beginning, there's an assurance at the end, and then there's six promises. It begins and ends with the same assurance. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He ends that same thought, these Beatitudes, with the same assurance. That if, if you walk with me, you're going to experience the kingdom of heaven. And within those two assurances, there's, there's six promises. The where, we've already covered that. It's on, the, it's, it's, it's on a mountainside. But I want you to notice, like, Jesus, I love this. He's sitting down. Everybody else is probably standing. I love that. I want to try that one Sunday. I was thinking, that's why I've got this chair. If y'all can just stand up. No, I'm kidding. But, but I, I think what it says about Jesus is he wasn't trying to impress anybody. He sits down. He's calm as a cucumber, right? He, he knows exactly what he's about to say. These are very hard sayings. He's sitting on this mountainside overlooking the, the, the Mount of Beatitudes, overlooks the, the, the Sea of Galilee. So it's, it's this beautiful setting. The wind is during his three years of ministry sometime at the beginning. And, and so this is, this is the, the greatest sermon ever preached by the greatest preacher that ever lived. But then there's the why. That's what I want to talk about today. So, so, so why would he say these things that are completely countercultural? You know, why, these are hard sayings. Nobody wants to mourn. Nobody wants to be spiritually poor. These are not things that you would think would be, would, would be popular. And I want you to look at the word he uses over and over and over. It's, it's known as the Beatitudes, but he uses that word blessed like nine times in ten verses. Blessed. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. So he keeps using this word over and over and over. And, and so we, my Bible translates it as blessed. But if we look at the, the Greek word, which is uh, makarios, it's, it's happy. It can literally be translated happy. And so here he is gathering this crowd around. And I want you to think about the crowd. And, and, and so most of these folks really needed something. Most of these folks were, were, were very, very poor. They were not the esteemed. They were not the wealthy. They were not the, the upper class. These were people that were following Jesus around, trying to get a, a, a solution to the problem that they probably couldn't get fixed anywhere else. And he, and he starts talking to them about happiness. Now, happy is a weird word. There's a lot of people in the 21st century right now. You would think that we would be the happiest generation that's ever lived because we have so much especially in the U.S. I mean, we've got almost anything that we could possibly want, but so many people are unhappy. It's, an, it's like a, it's an epidemic. People are depressed. People are discouraged. People are chasing after things that the world's saying will bring you happiness, but they find out it's an illusion. And so Jesus is talking to these people. Some of them are homeless. Some of them are just wandering around. Some of them want a miracle or a meal. And he talks to them about happiness. The word happy, it's like a, it's a Latin word. And it comes, basically means happenstance. So I think the word, what Jesus is really saying here is it's more than just happiness he's talking about. I think it's It's joy. That there's a way to live this life when you go through situations that should be very depressing, right? You're mourning 
situations where you got to show mercy, situations where people are talking about you and persecuting you for your faith, none of these in my mind would ever equate to something happy. But Jesus is kind of flipping it around. He's saying, I want to show you where, where happiness, true happiness is found. Not happenstance. Not, well, my team won, I'm happy. <laughs> or or the, it's sun shining out, I'm happy. No, it's, 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 a, it's a joy. It's this, this, this peace of God, this happiness of God that we can have no matter what situation we're going through. And so the Beatitudes, if you're taking notes, reveals where true happiness can be found. And it's not, it's not anywhere you would think to, to look. Because nobody wants to go through situations where we're mourning. And nobody wants to go through situations where we don't know, we don't have the answers. And I really don't like people talking about me. I know that you don't either, right? And so nobody wants to be criticized or ostracized. Nobody wants to do that. But, but Jesus is opening up this brand new window to all of us. And showing us that sometimes... When life dishes us a circumstance that we don't know how to walk through, it's a, a season of mourning or a season where we feel spiritually poor or we are poor, we don't have the resources that we need or people are talking about us. Or, like, we can walk through these, type, these seasons in our life and God is very close. And a lot of times we, we, we want to believe that, well, if I, and it, like, it's on the mountain where I'm closest to God. It's higher up, you know, like, or, or, but, 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 it's, but Jesus is showing us. I want to give it to you in this, this different translation. This is like the, the best way I heard it. So this is just the first verse there, the first beatitude. Blessed is the person who realizes they are completely destitute, utterly helpless. One who realizes their absolute need for God. Paul Simon, Simon and Garfunkel, anybody know who they are? He wrote a, they wrote a song about the Beatitudes. They said Jesus was speaking to the sat upon, the spat upon, and the ratted on, all right? And, and so that's who he's speaking to here, the, the down and outs. And when we started up a room, one of the, the core things that I believe made it special was it was kind of this, it was a church of prodigals. It was a church of people who had made some mistakes in their life because I was one of them. It was a church of people who didn't feel like they fit in in, in organized religion because I tried that and I wasn't, you know, it just didn't work out for me. I know there's some people that do, but it just didn't work out for me. It was, it was people that, that made, we were kind of the church that you went to, and you didn't want to go to the bigger churches because you had to see other people. You know what I mean? That, and, and, and there was a story there. Like, like we, it was this home for the prodigals. We didn't have much to give. Everybody was a little rough around the edges. Like, you kind of had to be a little crazy to be a part of it. You know what I mean? Like, like it, it, was, it was one of those types of um, and I love that because my experience, you know, raised Catholic and uh, it was it was tough for me. Like I, I didn't you know, I went to CCD classes till I got kicked out of CCD classes. Uh, you know, my favorite part was the communion because it was real wine. Come on, somebody. I would circle that puppy. I, I got banned from taking communion because I'd hit it seven or eight times. You know what I'm saying? I was like, I just, you know, 12 years old getting that communion, somebody. And uh 
anyways, but uh, so I ended up not going to the, you know, I, I just didn't find, I, I didn't know where I fit in. It wasn't there. And, I, and I'm really thankful that, that I believe God has created a place where somebody who's, who's poor in spirit can find a home. Someone who doesn't have this more degrees in a thermometer and knows everything about God or has everything to put together. Like, like it's, it's the poor in spirit. And Jesus goes even farther and says, those are going to be the folks that experience my kingdom while they're here. The kingdom of heaven. He talks about it over and over. It was this new concept that the kingdom was coming, it was here, and then, and, and then it, it was also in times past. Like it, it, it didn't make complete sense. But he did, at the beginning and end, and end of these Beatitudes, he gave a really awesome promise that the poor in spirit, those who feel like the down and out, those who feel like, man, I don't have much to offer, those are going to be the ones who would really experience his blessing. That word poor, it's, it's a, when he says, I'm glad he didn't just say blessed are the poor, okay? He's not talking about money. He's not talking about wealth. He warned a lot about a lot of wealth, right? He, he said he could, constantly he would warn about money, that it was hard for a rich man to get to heaven. It was like a, like a, like a camel fitting through the eye of a needle. He, he warned against wealth and trusting in wealth. But that's not what he's saying here. He's not saying that, you know, this is that the kingdom of, and he's not given a list of rules. I think that's another tendency. I feel like I, I read the Beatitudes and, and, and my first tendency was, well, I guess I got to be, you know, poor in spirit. I need to mourn a lot, right? I need to be meek and humble. But, but then it would be legalistic. What, what he's inviting his listeners into and us is that when you go through these situations in your life, the availability of God, he's knocking on your door. When you find yourself in a situation where you have to be humble and you find yourself in a situation where you are mourning and you find yourself in a situation where, where you don't know what the answers are and you don't have the spiritual background and you can't really figure it out, that it's in those times and seasons where, where God make, he makes himself available in all circumstances of our life. I'm thankful for that. <laughs> I'm glad that we have a God who's not afraid to, to step into some of our, of our worst days. And not only that, he, he's opening this door and saying, you know what? I'm going to be even closer in those moments. I'm going to be even more near. That the kingdom of heaven is right in your midst when you're going through these situations in life. And so when he says, blessed are the poor in spirit, I think what he's really saying is, is blessed is the person who knows their absolute need for God every day. And that goes completely against our culture right now. It's, it's self-sufficiency, right? Believe in yourself. <laughs> just keep believing. <laughs> Look within. You know, just, just fake it till you make it. Just put, put it together, put your, you know, like, like you got what you need within you, just keep going, just, put, you know, and, and again, I don't think there's anything wrong with that, but what Jesus is inviting us into is a different life from that. He's saying, don't believe in yourself, don't look within, because you'll probably get a little depressed if you do that. He's saying, look to me, that we don't graduate from God dependency in this life. Nobody likes to be dependent. You, 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 you know, dependent on anyone. We were able to sponsor a, a health symposium 
Dr. Winslet was, uh, he put it together as a local doctor here in town. And um, so each week there's this different speaker. And last week was uh, a man named Dr. Ira, Ira Byrock. And he helped develop palliative care, which is end of life care. And so he really wrote the book on it, literally. It's called Four Things. And four things that he believes are essential to someone who is towards the end of their life. And, but anyways, he was, he was speaking at First Baptist last week, and I, myself and some of the team were able to go. And he started talking about dependency. How the closer that we get to that moment where we're going to slip from this life into the next, is we become completely dependent on other people. And, and for some folks, that's really hard. <laughs> But then for others, it really depends on who you're trusting in and who's around you. And I think as Christians that one of the key components to walking with God is that we realize that we never graduate from being dependent on him. That every breath is a blessing. Every moment, every day, you know, every time we get up and get to see the sunrise and get, and get to see the sky and get to see the clouds, like, like every single day, there's really nothing in myself that I can say, I earned this day. Or I earned that breath. I mean, how much is, what's the price of a breath nowadays? What's the price of a good night's sleep? And Jesus is trying to inject this into his disciples, but he's also speaking to the religious leaders who in their minds, they have earned everything that they have. By merit, by their good behavior, by building synagogues or building churches. That's why Jesus threatened them so much. And they didn't like the poor in spirit hanging out in their courtyards and in their church. They had all these qualifications and you got to be this smart and you got to come from this family. And Jesus said, no, I didn't come for y'all. <laughs> that the kingdom of heaven is very close to the person who lives every day and knows their absolute dependency and need for God. And that's not popular. That's why it's quiet in here. Come on, somebody. <laughs> Blessed are the poor in spirit. I want to read this last story in Luke 18, the last couple of verses, and then we're going to pray. We're going to eat some mullet because I'm hungry, all right? And <laughs> Luke chapter 18, it says, To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everybody else, Jesus told a story. Listen to the story. Two men went to the temple to pray. One, a Pharisee. The other, a tax collector. So, one, so a religious man and a non-religious man. The Pharisee stood by himself and he prayed. Listen to this prayer. God, I thank you that I'm not like everybody else. Look at all these people. Robbers, evildoers, adulterers. Ugh. Or even like this tax collector. Like literally. I mean, come on. You know what I'm saying? Like verse 12. I fast twice a week, God. I tithe. Come on. Somebody. Everything I get, I give it back. Here's this tax collector, stood at a distance, didn't even want to come into church, thought it would fall on him, wouldn't even look up to heaven, but he beat his breast and he said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled. And those who humble themselves will be exalted. 
What a powerful story. Let's look at this for just a few minutes, and then we're going we're gonna to pray. So here is this, this religious man, and he's trusting in what he's done. And now i got to ask myself this question when I read that. What is wrong with praying? He said he prayed every day, right? What is wrong with tithing? Nothing. What, what is wrong with fasting? He says he fasted. He had a fasting schedule. Okay, he, I mean, he fasted all the time. What is wrong with any of those things? Well, nothing. Those are, those are part of what we do on Sunday. I encourage people to pray. I, you know, we encourage people to fast. We encourage people to do. Like, what's wrong with abstinence? Nothing. He said he, he wasn't, you know, he didn't smoke or chew or run with those who do, okay? Like, he had withheld from all of these things that, in his mind, were really bad. But here's, here, you, you two help me with this, okay? The lead singer, Bono was being interviewed about Christianity. He's a believer. And, and he was being interviewed, and they asked him all these things about Christianity. And he said, this is my one thing about Christianity that I don't agree with. Since when does what you don't do make you a Christian? And now here's this tax collector, the non-religious man who probably did all those things that God li- that had just listed, right? They were not known as the most like, moral people in that day. Nobody liked them, okay? Nobody wants, nobody wants to pay taxes. Come on, like, that's still popular nowadays. Nobody, nobody wants to pay taxes. But uh, anyway, so they, they weren't held at high esteem in that day. That, like a tax collector is like a cuss word, kind of. And he can't even lift his head up to heaven. He felt like he was completely disqualified from what was going on. I want you to look at the two guys, and I want you to look at what they're focused on. The first religious man was justifying his spirituality. He was comforting himself by comparing himself to other people. Tax collect, look, there's adulterers. There's, I'm not like all these people. Look at the world. Look at how crazy people are going. I can do that. I can do that a lot. I can get on the news. I can start reading the news and thinking, man, people are slap crazy, y'all. Have you noticed that lately? I mean, crazier than run over dogs. Like, they are just going wild. And so this Pharisee is looking at the world and he's comparing himself to the world thinking, you know, I'm doing pretty good. I'm going to church. I know the Bible. I give. But then there's this other man, the non-religious man, and he's not comparing himself to other people because if he did, he knew that he wouldn't qualify. He was comparing himself to God. He was looking up to heaven. He was looking at this book right here and realized that his life fell very short of this book. And that's the boat we're all in. Last story. Play the piano so we can lighten it up a little bit. <laughs> Whew. It's five year celebration. There's clotheslining, y'all. No, 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 no. But been watching the, the ceremony with the Queen and started, I read some commentaries of some English scholars on these Beatitudes. And this, this one commentary told a story about this church in England. So this is a really massive church. It was known as a steeple church. And if you've watched some of the ceremonies and the changing of the guard, the church in the, is very, very involved with the country. It's almost like they, they, they're kind of married in some aspects. And so this, this church 
was a really, really wealthy church, and they had three missional churches that they had started in kind of the slums, like out, outside of the city and the town. And so it was the first of the year, and they had what was called Mission Sunday. And so they invited all these people that they didn't want in their church. They, they invited them out to this missional Sunday service at the big church. And so the pastor is speaking, and they gave communion. He has the communion uh, folks come down, and they're taking communion. And the pastor notices that there's a judge kneeling at the altar right next to a, an ex-convict who was a, he was a thief. And only the pastor picked up on it. The, the, the man that was kneeling next to the judge, the judge actually put him in jail. And he got out, and he went to one of those little missional churches outside of the city. And after communion, they're all leaving. The pastor, you know, walks out with the judge. And the judge looks over at the pastor. The pastor asks the judge, did you, did you notice who was next to you? And the judge looked up and said, yeah, I didn't know if anybody else noticed. The pastor said, what a, what a miracle of grace. And the judge stopped him. He said, who, who are you talking about? The, the man, the criminal that, you know, got converted out when he got out of jail? Or are you talking about me? And the pastor said, of course, I'm talking about the criminal. I mean, he is a career, career criminal. Went to jail, did his time. God's grace was so good to him. And the judge said, I'm not talking about the criminal. The miracle of grace is me. Because I was raised in a religious family. And I went to Sunday school every day. And I went to Oxford, the best schools. And I had everything I needed growing up. And I knew my parents taught me not to steal and not to cheat. And not to do these things. And, 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 and so he's, he's, giving the pa- he's preaching to the pastor. He said the real miracle of grace, pastor, was not the man who got out of jail and had nothing in front of him. Of course, he was spiritually poor. Of course, he would go to faith. He said the real miracle was me. Still kneeling. Still depending on the grace of God. When it looks like his life was all together. He's putting people in jail. I think that judge understood something. That we never graduate from needing God in our life. And the moment that we think we can look down on somebody, the moment that we think that we've, we've got it together, the moment that we start relying on our own religious duties, well, I'm, 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 you know, I'm going to, I pray, I do all these things, nothing wrong with all these things, but I don't think that's where God wants us living. I think he wants us living in dependence on him every day. Because how crazy would it be? Because I believe one day we're going to stand before God to start reading all the things that we did in our life. <laughs> like a report card. Oh, God, I mean, I went to church like Christmas and Easter at least. And, and I sang in the choir and I gave a lot of money to the church. And I built buildings and we did that. I mean, none of that. God's going to look down. There's only one thing that we have that we can brag on when we get before him. And it's, I trusted in your son. I trusted in him every day. When I had a lot of money, I trusted in God. When I had no money, I trusted in God, right? Like when everybody was my friend, I trusted in him. When nobody wanted to be my friend, I trusted in him. It's a daily trust. It's a daily trust. And we never, ever, ever graduate from that point. So I want us to do this. I want us to bow our head. We're going we're gonna to pray this morning. Father, we just thank you so much.
for your goodness. Lord, we thank you for your faithfulness in our life. God, I thank you that you really have invited us into an upside-down kingdom. The world looks on the outside and it looks at stuff and it looks at riches and it looks at accomplishments, but you, you don't do that. What you're looking for this morning in our hearts and lives is faith. Faith. Someone to believe you and trust you in every day and in every way. And so, Lord, I pray this morning that you would give us all faith. You tell us in your word that it's a gift, that we can't earn it. There's nothing that we can do to deserve it. And so, Lord, we ask this morning for just faith to believe you. And if there's anyone in this room this morning and they, they may feel just spiritually poor, they don't know much of the Bible, didn't go to church much, God, I pray that you would just welcome them with open arms. Lord, those who may be mourning this morning, uh, that you would comfort them. Those who may be experiencing injustice in their life right now or criticism, Lord, that you would just be very, very close to them. But most of all, God, we just thank you so much that you've been faithful to all of us. And so, Lord, we want to trust you in greater and deeper ways. Lord, help us to become spiritually poor so that we'll trust you even more every day. And we give you all the praise in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen.